Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 260, Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou 2. And Shaq, the rematch is going down Saturday night in Las Vegas, Nevada. The first time they met in 2018. Now, I know you remember exactly what happened. Stipe Miocic gave him that tour of the octagon. But since that point, Francis put his head down, grinded, came back, uh, worked his way back up into that number one contender spot. And Stipe further cemented himself as the greatest uh, heavyweight of all time, Shaq. Yeah, it's been a crazy road since that fight for both guys. Stipe lost his belt. He got it back. Francis not only lost to Stipe, he took a loss to, to Derek Lewis as well. He bounced back to – and then he got back to his usual ways of KOing dudes in less than a minute. So, And Stipe, he's the greatest uh, heavyweight of all time. I mean, just look at his resume, Verdum, Overy, uh Francis Ngannou, JDS, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. So Stipe Miocic, he, currently he is the baddest uh, man on the planet. And, uh, and I'm excited to see what happens on Saturday night because uh, this is this is legacies. I mean, I don't know if Francis is going to have another another chance uh, at it, you know, if he can't get, get it this time. So we'll see what happens. Man, it's so interesting because... Stipe has since since the time that these guys met in January of 2018, Stipe has lost the belt and then he's gotten the belt back and he's defended it again. And Ngannou had the experience of going the five round distance with Stipe, had the experience of that three round disappointing fight with Derek Lewis, where afterwards everyone was saying, hey, we might never see that same old Francis Ngannou again. We might never see that same killer, that guy that put the fear in the heavyweight division. We may never see him again. And guess what? He came back. He knocked out Curtis Blades. He knocked out Cain Velasquez, JDS, Jairzinho Rosenstrike. And now, Shaq, Saturday night, he's right back in line uh, to try again, uh, you think second time might be the charm here? Yeah, well, we got to find out because when you got a guy with the poise, the composure, like a Miocic, you know that volume style. It, it's tough to beat. It might have to. It might be a first round or KO situation. But in Gano, that 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 uh, punching power is very high percentage, man. So we'll uh, we'll see for sure. So we're gonna break down this whole car start to finish. But as you know. Got to start off by giving a shout out to our sponsor, Manscaped. And this tournament season, take care of your hair and holes with the best tools for the job. We're talking about our sponsors, Manscaped, the global leaders in male grooming from head to toe. When the clock winds down in March, be clutch and avoid the upset with the Manscaped Perfect uh, Performance Package to keep all your hair and holes tamed. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the Manscaped movement and start taking care of your balls today with 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com and using the code battle 20 for our exclusive offer your bracket isn't supposed to be perfect but with manscape performance package you can be confident that your nose ear and ball pubes are and i mean let's just say that nose hair and ear hair that's a thing of the past you do not want to be that guy where you know a girl's talking to, to her friends about you she's like hey he's got a great personality but uh He's got nose hair and ear hair, and I feel too ashamed to tell him. So don't even put yourself in that embarrassing situation. Just hit on <laughs> Manscaped and use that, that code BATTLE20 for 20% off and free shipping. The Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle and the number one overall seed this season. Included in the package is the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. It provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Look, fellas, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Why not use the best tools for the job here? This amazing bundle also includes the Lawnmower 3.0, which is the best trimmer on the market for your balls, butt, and body. It checks every box for a Final Four run. Let's not forget their famous liquid formulations, the Crop Reserver, a ball deodorant, and the Crop Reviver, a ball toner to maximize your ball hygiene routine, keep you fresh, ready for anything. Get the performance package now to receive their two free gifts, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Talk about comfort. The Boxers are my personal favorite. Another favorite of mine are uh, the, crop mop, the Crop Mop Wipes, cool and refreshing ball, butt, and body wipes for peak male hygiene and extra care when it matters most. Manscaped has also partnered with the GOAT, Alex Caruso, and the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Manscaped is committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men age 15 to 35. Guys, I didn't know that. Did you guys know that? So we got to be aware of this shit. 
And Manscaped is committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men and giving support for fighters, survivors, and families impacted by testicular cancer as part of their We Save Balls initiative. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at manscaped.com. Thank you, Manscaped, for making our holes look sexy during the dance. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BATTLE20. When things get hairy, make sure to call on Manscaped in clutch time, Shaq. 100%. I don't think we can use Kevin Holland as a reference anymore, so we'll just continue on. Um, Max Holloway. Max Max Holloway. Holloway. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to talk about Max Holloway. Look, this is the Lawnmower 3.0 I was talking about. This thing's fucking amazing. So make sure you'll go to manscaped.com. Use that promo code BATTLE20 for 20% off and free shipping. And Shaq, let's get right down to business, my man, because uh, first up in the welterweight division, we got ATL Zone. Jared Nitrate and Gooden, he's 17-5. He's taking on the second cousin of the great Habib. He's taking on Abubukar Nurmagomedov, who's 15-3. and Currently, they got Abubukar minus 225. The comeback on Jared Nitrate and Gooden is plus 195. So, listen, on paper, this is, gonna, this is a tough matchup for Jared. I mean, uh, you've seen in the past, Jared has had issues with wrestlers. We saw Vic Kay and Julian Williams beat him in Atlanta, but then we also saw our good friend Mike Graves uh, do the same thing as well. Now, granted, Jared's only 25, 26. He's just a kid. He's had plenty of time to improve, and he's the kind of guy that performs under the lights. So, Shaq, I got to know, uh, you think uh, Jared's going to get his first UFC win this Saturday? It's going to be a good fight because, like you said, he has uh, struggled with the wrestlers in the past. But, you know, Graves also did uh, wrestle my boy Vicente Luque back in the day. Um, Randy Brown, too. So um, Randy Brown as well finished him. Um, so it's a good fight. Akabuka, I've never been impressed, even back when he was in PFL. Not, not that I need to be impressed, but he's just a lesser version of a, a lesser version of that style. Uh, he's got no stand-up, in my opinion, like no threat. He's got good technique, but just... He's, he doesn't like getting hit, and he, his chin ain't the best. I remember when he got sparked unconscious by the Ukrainian, uh, Pavel, I, I think that's what his name is. Um, Kush? Knocked him, yeah, Kush. Pavel Kush knocked him out in uh, PFL. But look, it's going to be a tough fight for Jared. He has he has struggled with the wrestlers. But I think, man, there is value. I just can't trust a guy like Akabukar at, at that type of line. I mean, we saw what happened in his UFC debut against David Zawada. I mean, when David Zawada is out here uh, – you know, hitting triangles off you that easily. But at the same time, he did take him down. So uh, we'll, we'll see. But I'm going to go with my boy, Jared. You know, I am a little biased. That You know, we, we are from the same side of town. So I got to go with my boy, Jared. Yeah, I mean, listen, obviously I'm rooting for Jared here. Uh, I thought he did a great job in the Juban fight. Um, like, I really thought that that was fight of the night on that event. They ended up giving it to Palatnikov and Kose. And it would have been nice to rebound with a fight against Palatnikov and Kose. But I think when you have a 17-5 and record like Jared does and you put on the kind of fight he did with Juban, they're, they're trying to test him. So I understand it. And this is the toughest stylistic matchup for him. But it's one that, you know, he's worked tirelessly to patch up that hole in his game. And he's working with the Lima brothers at ATT now. He's got a lot of good people around him. So I think that Saturday night, he's finally going to get over that wrestler hump. Finally, you know, get back up to his feet and knock this guy out. That's what he's got to do here. I mean, we, we, there's no secret what either guy wants to do. Abubakar wants to lay on him, wants to get his first UFC win, and Jared wants to get back up to his feet, knock him out, and get his first UFC win. And I think Saturday night, the more violent fighter will prevail. And uh, listen, no disrespect to Abubakar because he's a great fighter, but I truly believe if, if his name was Abubakar Johnson, this line might be a little bit closer. I'm going to go with Jared Gooden uh, to get his first UFC win. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Jillian Robertson. She's 9-5, and five, and Miranda Maverick is 8-2. and two. Currently, they got Miranda Maverick minus 160. The comeback on Jillian Robertson is plus 140. So, Shaq, I know you remember what Eddie Alvarez, the former lightweight champion, famously said about Jillian Robertson on Tough. She, uh, he said that, listen, she's going to go all out for that first-round sub, but if she can't get it, you know, she tends to check out of fights, and we've seen that since the <laughs> Ultimate Fighter days to nowadays. You think uh, that style is going to work here against Miranda Maverick, who is a brown belt, by the way? You know, it's so funny. Uh, I think, who, who'd she lose to on Tough again? Um, I forget, but she uh, she got Arbor stopped. Jack. Uh, yeah, and uh, 
and Eddie was like, Eddie was like, she's quitting, she's quitting. And then like all the girls from uh, Jillian's team was like, she is not a quitter. <laughs> like, oh, dude, it's so funny. Like, you got to see that episode. But anyways, man, I think, uh, yeah, look, Miranda Ravrick is clearly the more well-rounded fighter. She's got grappling. She's got striking, clinch, elbows, as we saw in the uh, debut against Jojua. Am I... Look, Joe, uh, Joe Jua isn't nothing to write home about, but it, look, it was looking like it was going to start getting ugly. I mean, there was a lot of blood. Uh, I think it, I mean, she did get stopped. So Jillian Robertson has definitely fought the tougher competition. Um, it's just she's a one-trick pony, and I think that the longer and longer she goes, um, it's going to be easier for girls to prepare for that. Now, I have seen Miranda Maverick uh, on her back against Pearl Gonzalez, and look, she did get her back briefly taken, so it is it is something to worry about for sure. But I think that if she survives, which she has in a lot of her fights, uh, but at the same time, she did lose to Deanna Bennett uh, a couple years back. She did. Uh, so she is still developing, but I think she's the more well-rounded fighter. And Jillian, honestly, man, I really, before the, because this fight is a rebooking fight, going into the last fight and the Santos fight, man, I kind of don't like that training situation. I think they switched it up a little bit, but from what I understood, she was only like training in a garage with like, with like Shorty Torres and, uh, you know, it, it just didn't sound like yeah, it just didn't sound like what you need to be doing to beat Tyler Santos. Um, I think that her wins are a little streak. It was a little inflated. I, I think it was a little bit what I like to call light. She beat Sarah Frota. You know, no wrestling, no ground game. Pollyanna Batello, no wrestling, no ground game, no cardio. Um, and when she fought Tyler Santos and she couldn't get her first round submission, I mean, she was trying to go for Hail Mary sub. So I think the the I think everything we need to know about Jillian is out there. If she if she can get the takedown and hop around Miranda's back, we'll see. But I think Miranda probably does get her back taken, but probably survives it and. and the second and third rounds probably just puts it on her on the feet. Jillian doesn't like to get hit. I don't think her stand-ups really improved that much. Um, she can maneuver a little bit better, but I, I see Miranda having a big edge in that in that realm. So I'm going with Maverick for the win by decision. I mean, listen, the thing about Jillian Robertson, like you said, we know exactly what she wants to do, and that's cool and all. Some people can't stop it. I'm not convinced that Miranda Maverick's one of those people. I mean. Courtney Casey, we know, historically has horrendous takedown defense. A lot of these people that Jillian's been beating just don't have it, whereas Miranda Maverick is pretty damn well-rounded. I mean, she's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. She's got good offensive wrestling, and then the stand-up techniques, uh, she's pretty damn diverse there. So I, I just think she's a much more well-rounded fighter here, and she's also a lot tougher. You know, one thing about Jillian Robertson, like Eddie Alvarez famously said, if she can't get that first-round sub, don't don't expect her to grit one out, and don't expect her to bite down on that mouthpiece and get tough when it's one-to-one -one going to the third round and it's time to dig deep. And someone might point to the Botelio fight, but guys, Lauren Mueller was out here taking down Pollyanna Botelio. I think, <laughs> I think Miranda Maverick's a completely uh, different fighter here. And also, she's really damn smart, too. You hear her talk. Uh, she's, a pretty, she's a pretty brilliant young lady. I know she lost to Deanna Bennett, but she fought her again and finished her in the rematch. So I think this is someone that's improving. She, look, she's only 23. She's just a kid. So you're going to see these big leaps every time. But I think she's got the size. I think she's got the well-rounded skill set. And I think Saturday night in Las Vegas, Nevada, she's going to finish Jillian Robertson. So I'm going Miranda Maverick here to get it done. Now, it was supposed to be Shane Young versus Omar Morales, but, you know, uh, unfortunately... That fight's not happening. I know we had some hot takes there. But now we got to talk about this next fight in the middleweight division between Abu Azaitar, the return. He's 14-2. and two. He's taking on Marc-Andre Barrio, who's 11-4. and four. Currently, they got Marc-Andre Barrio, minus 125. The comeback on Abu Azaitar is plus 100. So, you know, obviously, Abu Azaitar is coming off a layoff. So you're wondering, you know, anytime someone's coming off like a three-year layoff, you're wondering how they're going to look. But one thing I got to tell you, Shaq, is... Uh, Abu Azaitar could come off a 10-year layoff, and this guy ain't going to forget how to fight Shaq. Yeah, 100%. Um, he, his debut wasn't the most impressive, but I think that this fight is kind of just, you know, two tough guys. Guys, you know, they like to swing big. They get hit a lot, quite a bit. I think it's going to be a closely contested fight. Barry all fought some tough competition right out the gates. I mean, Sanchez, Jocko. Um, and then he, then he got kind of beat up on by the, uh, 
the uh, Korean, um, the ninja, his nickname's the Ninja Turtle. I forget. Uh, uh, Park, yeah, Park. And then, um, and then he finally got his win against Pihota, man. So I think that Barry Alt's a tough guy. He kind of has paid his dues a little bit. I just see him at minus money just being a guy you can't necessarily trust. Um, I feel like he hit a wall in both the Jocko and the uh, Sanchez fights, but at the same time, it was tough competition. And Abu Azatar, I get it. I mean, he kind of fought very close with the 40-something-year-old Vito Miranda. But, guys, look, you have to be careful fading these Azatar brothers because I, I don't know. I've referred to it on past shows. They have a lot of power and what I mean by uh, I'm not talking about punching power. I'm talking about uh, <laughs> I'm talking about outside the cage. I mean, for Christ's sake, they got guys uh, scaling walls in, in Abu Dhabi, and uh, <laughs> I mean, what I'm trying to get at is if this fight's close and it goes to decision, I'm telling you, Abu, Abu Azatar is winning this decision. Just like a lot of people thought he lost his UFC debut. It's just look, I've I've heard these guys have been a uh, Involved in some match fixing, some uh, intimidating of judges, some all type of things, man. So I think that Barry Alt's the type of guy that can fight close with him. I mean, he's a tough guy, but there's just nothing special. He gets hit a lot. He he can dish out the, the punishment as well. But I just see it being an even fight across the board, man. Two tough guys. They're going to beat each other up. It's a matter of who executes better. Uh, but I'll go with the underdog. I'll go with Abu Azatar to just kind of steal the rounds towards the end with big punches. I think even though he's got a layoff, uh, he had a USADA suspension as well, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um, I just think that he, when you look at, when you watch his fights, he's just a good weasel. He's a, he's a solid weasel. <laughs> you know, he can, he finds ways to steal these rounds. So I'm going to go with Abu Azatar. I just think the, the fight should be a pick man. I don't think Barry Alts, look, Oscar Pihota, that I mean, he's, he's cut from the UFC, right? Um, that's all I need to say. So I, I'm going to go with Abu Azatar. I'm going to go with the underdog. I actually really liked Abu Azatar's UFC debut. I think that the guy hits very hard. I think that he can mix in takedowns. But the the thing that stands out most is not that. The thing that stands out most is how aggressive he is, his willingness to fight, how tough he is. I mean, this guy does not accept bad positions. He will get back up. He will keep fighting the entire time. does not matter how tired he is. Nothing matters. This guy will fight to the death so i really respect abu azaitar a lot um i think he's underrated i'm i'm curious where he's been man because he had a couple winnable matchups you know he was supposed to fight walking buckley i think he wins that fight yeah i think maybe an alessio di carico fight lined up as well so i'm curious what he's been up to but granted he's the kind of guy he's got a lot of things going on outside the cage you know this guy and his brother they're royalty uh all over the world so you know fighting is probably the last thing on his mind but make no mistake about it this guy knows how to fight and this guy will not forget how to fight and listen i like barry all too i'm very grateful he cashed that underdog play for me against oscar pihota but you know one thing about abu azaitar he's not you know a habitual fade like pihota a guy that you just know does not belong uh, abu azaitar 100 belongs this is the kind of fight where he can come back here. He can brawl with Barry Alt, but if for some reason, you know, if maybe his timing's a little rusty, the layoff, this and that, he can mix in takedowns here too. And you mentioned how Barry Alt tested positive his last fight. That's the best he's ever looked. I know against the worst opponent, but if he was taking uh, PEDs for that fight, uh, expect a little bit of a drop down here. So I'm going to go with Abu Azaitar. I said, I said, I said, I said tested positive. Yeah, but Barry Alt's last fight got changed to a no contest because he tested positive. So, oh, uh, for real? For what? Steroids yeah. or weed? Uh, I mean, I don't think it was weed. Uh, the way the shape uh, he looked uh, in that fight against uh, Oscar Pihota, I think it was a little more than the devil's lettuce. So, uh, yeah, basically, he's, he's Azatar, never. Azatar, yeah, I just know Azatar. He had like some. Uh, he had like an eight month suspension or some shit. Yeah, I mean, one thing about Azatar is even if he did test positive, I don't expect his physique to change. I just expect his masking agent to change. Whereas with uh, Burial, I, I expect, you know, I don't think he can afford the same supplements he had in that Pihota fight. But regardless of all that, I got Abu Azatar to win this fight. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Jessica Panay. She's 12 and 5, and Hannah Goldie is 5 and 1. Currently, they got Hannah Goldie minus 120. The comeback on Jessica Panay is plus 100. So, Shaq, uh, not only is Jessica Panay coming off, you know, a serious layoff, but speaking of uh, P 
PED suspensions, man. She was out here doing some shit. She was out here doing something known as changing your biological passport, which I don't even know the half of that. So uh, you think we can expect the the good old tough uh, Jessica Penny to return here, or are we expecting a much more diminished version of her? Yeah, it's tough to say. Um, she is more experienced on the feet. She's basically a punching bag, but at the same time, the you know, she has fought some tough competition. She is, I will credit, she is a legit black belt. I, I, I can vouch for that. Um, she definitely got some good little uh, trip trip tosses, judo tosses, whatever, um, that she hit against Brandon Marcos. But, you know, the first two fights, I'm really not going to really critique those just because, I mean, she was in way over her head. But we will critique the Danielle Taylor fight. And, she just uh, kept marching forward. I mean, she moves forward. It's just she gets hit a ton, man. And it's it's just uh, she doesn't move her head. She's a statue moving forward. But she is a black belt. So Hannah Goldie, look, she's very green. And <laughs> she, look, I haven't been impressed at all with the uh, Contender Series fight or the Miranda Granger fight. But I'm not going to really get on her so much for losing the Miranda Granger just because she's a very green. It's two, It was two green girls. Uh, Miranda Granger got the better of it, but you know there there has been a lot of time like over it. Man, that fight was like when Covington fought Robbie Lawler. So, I mean, there's been a lot of time for Hannah Goldie to, you know, she's had a couple of injuries. There's a lot of time for her to uh, develop a style, get more confident, more practice time. I know she's training with Julian Williams and them in Florida. Look, Panay, I'm expecting the same Panay. I think Panay comes from. The Stone Age uh, of women's MMA fighting, you know, Panay was fighting when, when like, you know, he didn't really need that much to be successful skill-wise, and I think that's she's too stubborn. She keeps walking forward. She keeps getting hit. Am I 100% confident that Hannah Goldie has a ground game? Uh, you know, because Panay is a black belt. No, I'm not. But at the same time, I think she's got enough footwork, enough uh, striking IQ to touch, move move side to side, you know, make Panay confused with the movement, land a couple of little sidekicks, uh, you know, those cute little sidekicks that she likes to throw. Um, and and, and uh, in the fight against Miranda Granger, progressively she was getting her underhooks and stuffing the takedowns a little bit. Um, look, it's, it's one of those games betting-wise that it's like, look, Hannah Goldie, <laughs> she's not that good. And, you know, you're going to have to pay minus money. But at least it's not that much minus money. At least it's not like minus 150 or 60 70 where you're really you know kind of putting your neck on the line for a, a fighter that you know is not that good at least it's close to pick them so that's that is the side i'm gonna go with i just think she's fresher um and i just think she probably outmaneuvers her for a decision so we'll see yeah i mean so when this fight was announced and when you just look at this fight on the surface it really appears to favor hannah goldie i mean 10 years younger I mean, Jessica Panay is not just coming off some life-changing beatings. She's coming off changing her biological passport, whatever the fuck that means. And you saw point fighters like Daniel Taylor be able to have success with her half a decade ago. I mean, we were talking about Jessica Panay being on her way out half a decade ago. So I don't see why things would change now. It's just that this is the greenest opponent she's fought in maybe her entire UFC career, maybe in like the last decade man because i mean you're talking about someone in panay who was fighting michelle waterson eight years ago right so and when you talk about she's been around since the stone ages i mean you're right she was out here losing decisions to zoila frosto you know when if you're around during the zoila frosto era you know that you've been around and you've seen some shit in your time so jessica panay definitely has so hannah goldie can have a similar performance to daniel taylor in terms of the point fighting the only difference is daniel taylor has a lot more power than Hannah Goldie. So with Hannah Goldie, it's going to be a lot more sidekicks, push kicks, hit and run, those kind of things. The thing I'm worried about is, like you said, Jessica Panay goes forward. If she can cut off that cage and kind of bully Hannah Goldie, that's her path to victory. It's just I'm not sure if she, you know, still operating with that same speed. And and when I say that same speed, that speed hasn't been there since 2014, Shaq. So just by principle and default, I got to go with uh, Hannah Goldie here. However. If Jessica Panay, you know, can show up like like she did against Random Marcos back in 2014, that version of her beats Hannah Goldie. Um, but it's hard to have faith in that, especially considering the ass whoopings she's no, been uh, taking. So, I, I think this is the first fight where both girls have OnlyFans pages. <laughs> is it? 
we get uh, some kind of half the battle discount code for the fans. But uh, I'm gonna go with Pen- uh, with excuse me with Hannah Goldie via you know like a a very close point fighting decision where she kind of weasels the decision. Now next up in the 205 pound division we got Modestus Bukowskis. He's 11 and three, and Mikal Lord Olegzechuk is 14 and four. Currently they got Mikal Olegzechuk minus 150. The comeback of Modestus Bukowskis is plus 130. So Shaq. Um, Here's the thing. We were very high on McCall Olegzechuk uh, until that OSP fight. But it, it, here's something that I'm curious about. Because you remember after the Khalil fight, he had that steroid suspension. And he never went past the first round after that until the OSP fight. Though, And the only time we saw him go past the first round, he gassed badly. So I kind of got questions about this guy's cardio you know, down the stretch ever since his, you know, Khalil fight. Because I know that fight, he went the distance, but he was on steroids that fight. So I'm curious to see if he can still do it. Because one thing about Modestus Bukowskis, like McCall definitely has the better technique here. And we were higher on McCall as a prospect. But Modestus is kind of that guy that'll take that ass whooping up front and you start to slow down on him. That's where he starts to put it on you. And we've seen McCall get finished with a comeback before. So are, are you thinking the comeback finish here for Modestus or is our once uh, beloved prospect going to get back on track? Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, sometimes, I mean, all he did was beat Khalil and Jalan Vellante, man. It's, you know, it's like, I mean, he definitely looked good, but, you know, it's not like it's a surefire, you know, top 10 guy. Uh, and then the OSP fight, he gassed out, came in with a belly. I think he needs to drop to 85. I think Modestus has a, a very big size advantage in this fight. Modestus is a very big boy. How tall is he? 6'4", 5'3", somewhere yeah, in that big. range? Yeah, he's a very big boy. Not that good, but the size is I – mean, he's <laughs> massive. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, it's one of those things where McCall's got better boxing early. He might – he might – he might overwhelm him with the hands early, but like you said, if this fight continues on and Modestus can clinch him and extend him, and you know, I, I think I truly think McCall needs to drop down the 85s. Man, he's some of these fights he's he weighed in at like 203, uh, you know, very light. So I think that he needs to to drop down, and he and he didn't drop down. So actually, man, I'm a go, I am gonna go with uh, Modestus or Modestus from uh, where is he from Lithuania or um, yeah. Somewhere, like, yeah, I actually heard he used to play basketball in Louisiana uh, back in oh, the shit. day. So, but yeah, I just think the size is going to be a big factor here. I think McCall's going to start early and possibly drop him, maybe even knock him out. But if Modestus can hold on and clinch him and tire him out, get those get those uh, arms a little slower, I think that he can have kind of like you were saying uh, a comeback type of victory. I mean, he's a very big boy. If the skills can catch up with the size. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, look, he only lost to Jimmy Crute. Jimmy Crute's very experienced for his age. I mean, that was kind of expected. I don't think anyone really expected Modestus to win that fight that much. Um, so I'm not going to knock him that much. So um, I am going to go with Modestus. Yeah, I mean, I feel you. Like, if McCall comes out hard and starts gassing and starts doing, you know, the, if he starts pulling the kind of stunts he's pulled his last couple fights, then that could definitely happen here. And also, you got to imagine his confidence is at an all-time low because going into the OSP fight, he was a minus. He was minus two fifteen against OSP, but he's only minus one fifty against Bukowskis, and it's because you know it's because of those last two fights. But the thing is, Modestas is not going to grapple him here. However, I am worried about the fight getting extended. Like McCall is very hittable. He slows down. He's tiny for the weight class. And he doesn't have his uh, Flintstone vitamins anymore. So that's what I'm most worried about. But I still think he's a much better fighter than Modestus. Modestus has been finished in the first round three times. So I'm going to say McCall comes out here and knocks him out. However, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't worried about what happens down the stretch. But I'm going to say it doesn't get there. I'm going to go with McCall early. Now, next up in the 205-pound division, we got Alonzo Menefield. He's 9-2, and and William Knight is 9-1. and Currently, they got... This fight, a dead pick him. William Knight, minus 110. Alonzo Menafield, minus 110. So Shaka, either guy could knock each other out. I mean, both these guys are very, very powerful men. I'd say that William Knight's probably the more well-rounded, probably has more grappling upside, but um, he could definitely be knocked out here, Shaq. So how do you see it going down? Yeah, it's a tough fight because, look, Alonzo Menafield definitely was overrated. I think everyone can um, agree on that. I think he got put in a position by knocking out Paul Craig. You know what happens when you knock out Paul Craig? I mean, 
they uh, they feed, you know, you got to go up from there. And when you really watch that fight, I don't think Alonzo was really doing that well up until uh, Paul Craig threw that second spin. And when he threw that second spin, he got KO'd stiff. And then, you know, the, the Clark fight, he just completely gassed out. One thing I'll say about Menafield, he can stuff. I mean, the kid, even when he's tired, he will stuff every takedown. And it's actually pretty impressive. It's just he's still very green. He's got how many fights? Like, not even 11. Like, how many fights? He's 9-2, and two, so 11 fights. Yeah, like, the guy's very green. He just started fighting good competition, like, recently. The only, like, real, real fights he's had is, like, Craig... I mean, he's only had, like, three real, real... I mean, Mamouch, I don't think we can consider that a real... Like, uh, you know what I'm saying? And the guys that he fought on Contender Series, like, I think the guy's still very green, and I think they made a mistake taking that OSP matchup after the Clark fight. As far as I'm concerned, OSP's higher ranked than Devin Clark. Why? If you just lost to Devin Clark, why would you take a fight with OSP? Like, that doesn't make any sense. I think that that's a, it was a bad... Whoever's managing him safe or whatever, I think that was a bad decision. He needed to go back down in competition and, and build some confidence. They put him in there with OSP, and then he gets knocked out stiff in one of OSP's easier fights. I, I still think there is some potential in Minifield. Not, I, think, I still think he's got a ways to go, but I think that this is a, a significant step down. I'm not saying that William Knight is, you know, so far off that level, but the, the, what I'm what I'm getting at, I think the last two guys that William Knight fought are so green to the point where, like, personally, I know I might upset some people, but I don't think Alexa Kamora is UFC caliber. Um, I, I mean, like, his fight against Justin Ledet, like, he only won that fight because Justin Ledet makes his own soap and shit. Like, and, and Justin Ledet doesn't want to fight. Um, he believes the earth is flat. Like, Justin Ledet's out the UFC. Like, there was nothing really happening in that fight. And, like, you know, and then you look in his fight with William Knight. William Knight, I like him, but, man, there's a lot of holes out in space in the stand-up and with some of his head position in the clinch. Uh, the guy, uh, uh, Tafan Dadan from uh, Lloyd Irvin, he he knocked him out stiff, I mean, rather easily. Um, he, he, there's some there's some big technical holes in William Knight's gigs. But the one thing William Knight's got going for him is he's got a lot of heart. He's got a lot of will, especially down the stretch. And he possibly could uh, get Alonzo if Alonzo's confidence is so down. The thing is, man, I see this being a fight where Alonzo could let his hands go a little bit more. I mean, this guy does not is not 6'5 and does not have a long left hand like OSP and, a, and the most submissions in, in uh, the light heavyweight division. Devin Clark, I know he's a little bit of a spaz, but Devin Clark's super explosive and he's very experienced in comparison to these guys. Um, look, I'm gonna go with Menafield to get to get back on track. I I like William Knight, but I just see too many holes in the clinch with his head positioning, even with his, his striking out in space. And I can't that went over Alexa Kamura was good, but I mean most of it was grappling. And and, and like I said, I truly believe that Alexa Kamura is not UFC caliber. I, I don't think by this time next year he'll be in the UFC. Like I don't think Kamura. Because when you look at 205, man, the young guys in the division are like him, Kennedy, uh, uh, Ulberg. Like, I don't think, man, I don't think Alexa Kamara is on that level, man, but we'll see. Um, and I've been saying that for a while, but not to knock William Knight. And the guy he fought, Cody Brundage, like, that fight was kind of messy, man, all over. <laughs> like, the kid, the kid, I mean, I'm going to go with Minifield to get back on track. I think this is a step down in competition for him. Um, we'll see. His confidence is low, but. I see him capitalizing early on and knocking William Knight out. I mean, I could see it. William Knight's definitely hittable, and these two are going to probably stand in exchange until one man falls, so I could definitely see it. Um, it's just tough because William Knight kind of has a bit of that black beast quality about him where he can kind of get dominated in the early going, and then he'll just kind of spaz on you and knock you out. He'll get out of bad positions, and he'll keep going. So I'd say that the cardio advantage or the cardio edge goes to William Knight. Um, you know, because one thing about that Alonzo Menifield fight versus Devin Clark, 
Like I know Devin Clark's a step it up in competition, but man, I was kind of disappointed in that performance. I expected a lot more from Alonzo. Now on the positive side of things, he did keep the fight standing for the most part, stuff like nine of 10 takedowns or something, but I needed more output in those second and third rounds. So I was kind of disappointed by that. And like you said, he should have taken a step down after that. Instead, he takes a step up and former title challenger OSB gets knocked out. So you got to wonder where his confidence is at. Now, on one hand, William Knight is open to, you know, is open to taking shots, man. I mean, the way he fights, he's going to take shots. So Alonzo could knock him out. But I have a feeling this is going to be one of those fights where, you know, one of those sloppy brawls where both guys get exhausted and it starts to become one of those exciting fight of the night type fights. And um, I'd say that William Knight can probably push harder when both men are fatigued. So I'm going to I'm going to go with William Knight to edge it out. But realistically, I can see it going either way. And I agree with this fight being lined to pick him. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Jamie Malarkey. He's 12 and 4, and Kama Worthy is 16 and 7. Currently, they got Kama Worthy minus 135. The comeback on Jamie Malarkey is plus 115. So, Shaq, uh, Jamie Malarkey, he's had some good fights, just hasn't quite gotten it done. I mean, he dropped Brad Riddell. They had a great fight. A lot of people thought he beat uh, Forez Yam, um, but like Joe Silva used to say, you can't win a fight by putting your head between a man's legs. You think third time will be the charm? Because, look, Kama Worthy is a physical guy, and he's pretty damn good. The only thing I can criticize is his chin. So how do you see this one going now? Yeah, Worthy, solid guy. Just got sparked by an Azatar brother. I mean, you know the Azatar brothers. You know how they get down, man. They they swing heavy, and <laughs> he got caught. He's been knocked out several times, though, by some questionable guy like Kyle Nelson knocked him out. But it was at, like, 140. A lot of his KO losses were at 145. Uh, some at 155. Um, look, Jamie Malarkey is a guy. My like, I think he's. I don't want to say he's not UFC caliber, but I just see him as a guy that like. I don't know. Maybe he could get this one, but I don't think he beat for us. And I actually scored it for the French guy uh, live. Um, and everyone was saying I was crazy, and they scored it for him. And it was because he, like you said, I mean, he was. I, I thought, yeah, he was he was clinching him and tying him up. Definitely got the better of the grappling, but, I mean, on the feet, man, Malarkey is kind of, he takes too much damage. He had that good fight of the night with Brad Riddell, but, you know, I feel like he's kind of getting a little bit too much stock for that because I honestly thought Riddell beat him up very badly. I, I mean, he landed one left hook in that fight that rocked Riddell, but other than that, man, I really felt like Brad Riddell controlled the majority of that fight. Um... But at the same time, he is a dog, and sometimes paying chalk for guys like Kama Worthy uh, with the type of chin that he has, it could be a little sketchy. But I, I see Kama being able to out-physical this guy, and Malarkey takes a lot of damage as well. Um, I'm going to pick Kama Worthy from a betting perspective. It could be a little bit sketchy just because one thing I'll say about Malarkey is he's got a lot of heart, man. He, uh, he, I mean, he definitely comes to fight. He's not going to quit. Uh, it's going to be a dogfight. But I was impressed with Kama Worthy's performance against Luis Pena. I, th I thought he broke him down very nicely. Um, and he knocked out Devontae Smith. So uh, I'm going to go with Kama Worthy to, to probably get a decision win here. Maybe not knock him out. Like I said, Malarkey is a very tough customer. Um, but it, it could be close, but I'll go with Kama Worthy. Real quick, before I give my pick, uh, do me a favor and give this video a like and a subscribe. We truly appreciate it. So listen, Jamie Malarkey could knock out Kama Worthy. Jamie Malarkey's got eight knockouts on his record. And even in that Brad Riddell fight, he actually dropped Brad Riddell late in that fight. So don't be surprised if Jamie Malarkey knocks out Kama Worthy. But that being said, if Kama Worthy is not knocked out in this fight, I think he's the more physical guy. I think he's the more active guy. I think he's the more well-rounded guy. So it's really about Kama Worthy staying conscious. And I agree with you, man. You know, with that slight chalk, it might be, this might be a dogger pass situation, actually. Um, it, you know, you want to fade that chin of Kama Worthy coming off a knockout loss. How's his confidence? You know, you want to see where he's at because you know Malarkey is hungry for a win. He feels like he won that last fight against Ziam, even though we disagree. So what? Like, the guy's hungry. He's got a point to prove. And his job's on the line, whereas Worthy can lose this fight. He's still getting another one. So, from that perspective, I understand taking the shot on Malarkey. However, if if Kama Worthy's not knocked out, he's probably winning this fight. But big if, big if, I understand. I'll go with Kama Worthy here to get it done. Now, featured bout in the Bantamweight division, we got Tomas Tominhas Almeida. He's 22-4. and four. 
and Sean O'Malley. The Sugar Show is 12 and 1. Currently, they got Sean O'Malley minus 320. The comeback on Tomas Almeida is plus 260. So, this fight between Cheeto Vera and Sean O'Malley, that shit was no fluke because you go back to that Andre Sukum tut fight, and I mean, Sean O'Malley fucked up his leg there. You go back to that regional fight back in the day, and you know, Sean O'Malley had to get carried out on a stretcher in that one, too, man. So, can Tomas Almeida come out here and before his chin gets launched into orbit, can he start chopping out on that calf? Maybe land, you know, three or four of them and get, get O'Malley hobbling before the inevitable happens. It's a tough fight, man, because look, I'm not very high on Almeida. Um, even going into the last fight, man, I, I, I was very skeptical on him. Uh, I think, I mean, he gets dropped every fight. He really hasn't beaten anybody significant. I mean, just look at his wins. He fought, which Nobody significant, man. Like Cody uh, Garbrandt. Well, he, he beat he, he beat a guy that uh beat Demetrius Johnson, right? Okay, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, uh, you know, he being you know, I just think that is uh his, you know, his aura of being this vicious, you know, striker like. Like Cody Garbrandt said, man, going into their fight, I mean, he's beating a bunch of cab drivers, man. Uh, I think I think it's true, honestly. Um, thing with um, uh, Sugar Show is he's kind of beating a bunch of cans too. Uh, I mean, t- as far as I'm concerned, Jose Quinones quit. I mean, he's got no chin. Look, I mean, Jose Quinones ain't been looking too good these days. And then Eddie Wineland, I mean, Eddie Wineland, shout out to Eddie, a legend, but I mean, you know, the, I think Eddie's uh, already retired or if, you know, <laughs> they're about to be retired. Um, and then the Cheeto fight, the second things got tough. O'Malley, his leg gave out on him. And, and that leg has an extensive history of not only in the Sukumthath fight and the uh, the Cheeto fight, but even when he knocked out the kid on Contender Series. If you watch that fight closely, that leg is giving out on him like, like, there's those times where that ankle was rolling. I'm like, dude, what the hell is up with that leg? Like, <laughs> this kid's this kid's legs are weak, man. Like, if Almeida is smart, he definitely comes out here and chops, but it's gonna be hard because Almeida doesn't move his head. <laughs> and Almeida sits there after he throws and he doesn't move his head, and it's gonna be probably fairly easy for O'Malley to counter him and knock him out. And the last performance, I didn't see the fire from Almeida. Maybe he was coming off the layoff. He wasn't too confident, but I. I expected him to put more, much more up of a fight against Martinez. Um, and I, I think I picked Martinez, but, I mean, the fight was fairly dominant and one-sided, man. And he just didn't – and I know he had some vision issues. Like, maybe Tomas Almeida is done, man. Who knows? Um, look, I'm going to pick Sean O'Malley to knock him out. But uh, I'm not going to – it's not one of the things where I'm trying to pay minus uh, three-something for it. Just because O'Malley, the kid, the kid is – I mean – I'm not even talking about the shit that there's that he was saying on the podcast because I truly think, I mean, it's nothing to joke about, but I truly just think that he's stupid and, and doesn't <laughs> know any better. But like, I just think that, uh, I just think you know he's surrounded by yes man. The guy has coached him Welsh. I mean, that look if O'Malley wants to be champion, he's gonna have to drop that guy because when you're in your coach, or it's kind of similar to Kevin Holland and his coach, like. You can tell it's like a friend. It's more of a friend thing than uh, <laughs> it's a, a, you know, a coach and a student type of thing. You know, they agree with everything. You know, your, your coach ain't supposed to agree with everything you say. So I think uh, O'Malley's probably going to knock him out. I, I think that Thomas Almeida wasn't as good as everyone thought. Um, but he has fought the tougher competition, but he gets dropped every single fight, Dan, except, you know, when he fought, like, Anthony Burchek and Albert Morales <laughs> and stuff like that. But, like, you know, I, I, I think Sean's got enough to knock him out. I mean, guys like Sean O'Malley and Kevin Holland would get eaten alive at, like, Fortis MMA. Um, could you imagine Safe Sayu trying to hold those guys accountable? <laughs> That's the thing, bro. I don't think they could handle that, man. They're so, like, I mean, I see why Safe wouldn't let Kevin come to Fortis, man. I mean, he was like, yeah, yeah it's not going to work out, man. 
Yeah, straight up, for those that don't know, Safe Saud, head coach of Forts MMA, told Kevin Holland, no, you, you cannot come train with us. And I understand why. Like, I completely understand why. And it's not because he knocked out Jeff Neal, but because of the way he acts. Like, that that's the real reason. Because if he would have knocked out Jeff Neal and been completely respectful and not been a big mouth, then they would have been like, hey, let's train together. But they're just like, dude, we don't fuck with you. Take the win and we'll move on. And that's what happened. Um, as far as Sean O'Malley is concerned, it, here's the, cons- the, the biggest, like, area of worry of concern is that he could be teeing off on Almeida and it could just take one or two calf kicks. Like in that Sukum Tut fight, like the first two rounds were like a masterpiece. There was like a clinic. He was killing Sukum Tut. And then when he fucked up his leg in that third round, you know, no one ever accused Andre Sukum Tut of being the brightest, right? <laughs> we, me and Shaq had some jokes about that back in the day. But he, he's Sukum Tut's that one guy you ain't going to cheat on his test. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you ain't going to look over at his paper. <laughs> but uh, the bottom line is that Sukum Tut wasn't smart enough to capitalize on a guy that was hobbling around with one leg. Whereas one thing about Almeida, we've always praised him for, is this killer instinct. I'm telling you right now, if Sean O'Malley somehow gets that leg fucked up for like the third or fourth time, he starts hobbling around. That's where Tomas Almeida can come out here and get this finish. Um, however, Tomas's face is a magnet to getting punched. That's the biggest issue here. And he gets wobbled and dropped every single fight. It's like, Tomas, can we just patch up that defense this much? I think it's because the scene he comes from, that shooter box scene, they grew up, you know, brawling in people's basements back in high school, like, and they just never patched things up. Um, Dubronx patched things up, but Tominhas didn't. Um, but if Tomas can just come out here, keep those hands nice and high, don't take anything clean on the chin, land four or five calf kicks, that's going to be very interesting. That's going to be really intriguing. And I know he's looking for them because I heard a couple of his interviews. Now, granted, I don't speak Portuguese, but, um, you know, he spoke a bunch of Portuguese and then he said calf kicks, then a bunch of more Portuguese. I was like, okay, so he knows what the game plan is here, but it's easier said than done. And it's also easier said than done when O'Malley's expecting it now, because you got to think that, you know, even though O'Malley ain't the brightest, he's him and Tim got to realize like, Hey, like people are going to try to capitalize on this weakness of ours off the bat. So very intriguing fight. I got to go with O'Malley here, but like <laughs> do not lay this chalk. Cause it's very worrisome. What happens if, if that leg gets compromised at all, like even a little, like he is not going to come back and win the fight. Like O'Malley is not the toughest. He's very skilled, but he's not the toughest. Uh, Almeida's tougher than him. Actually. It's just Almeida can't take a punch. So it's one of those things. Uh, it's the guy that doesn't like getting hit versus the guy that can't get hit. So interesting fight. I'll go with O'Malley, but um, I'm kind of low-key rooting for Almeida here. So let's see what happens. Co-main event of the evening. We got Tyron Woodley. He's 19-6. And, and Vicente Luque is 19-7. and seven. Currently, they got Tyron Woodley. He's a plus 200 dog. And Vicente Luque is minus 250. So... Listen, man, I mean, we know that if this becomes a battle of wills, if both guys are tired and it's time to, you know, see who wants it more, Vicente wants it more 100%. It's just that, and also if this goes to decision and it's about who had more output, who had more effort, Vicente is winning that too. It's just that Vicente is very, very hittable. And one thing about Woodley, power is the last thing to go. Can Tyron Woodley capitalize on, you know, on this guy Vicente who often blocks punches with his face and... uh you know, kind of slows down in a lot of fights. But that being said, Vicente is also 12 and 2 in the UFC with 11 finishes. And the only losses are to Leon Edwards and um, and Mike Graves, right? So he's not out here losing to bums. And Wonderboy, and Wonderboy, 12 and 3, actually. My bad. So uh, he, he didn't lose to slouches. So how do you see this one going down? Man, I think uh, this is a good matchup because. This is that typical spot where, look, Woodley has lost 15 straight rounds. We might might as well just chalk it up to, like, 20 because uh, some of those are 10-8 rounds. So, I mean, that counts, like for, that counts for, like, double, you know. Um, look, 100% he fought the three best guys in the division, in my opinion. Uh, Kamaru, the champ, Colt Covington, and uh, Gilbert Burns, 100%. And he, he got his – I mean, he got dominated. Um Progressively, they got worse, each one. Um, 100%. Vicente Luque is not on that level. I agree. Um, and he doesn't have the, the the grappling. 
the necessarily like offensive grappling pace that like Usman and Covington and Burns have where they can tie them up and press them against the fence and kill time that way. The majority of this fight is probably going to be out in space exchanging punches. The thing with Tyron's stand-up, man, his stand-up don't look good, bro. Like, I've been, look, y'all know how, like, y'all know how me and Tyron, we have this thing. Um, look, Tyron's done. Like, I, I, like, we, I'm not gonna get into the details of the outside the cage stuff and all that and, and all that good stuff. But look, he, he the dude went Hollywood, man, and I don't know if he can recover. This is a step down for him. If he's ever gonna win a fight, it would be this one. But at the same time, man, when you think about Vicente Luque, Vicente Luque is a guy that gets his job done for the most part. I mean, unless he's fighting a top five you know, current guy like Vicente Luque usually puts on an ass whooping. And usually, I mean, he's got like a finish rate of like like 90%, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I mean, dude comes out here and, and he's really letting go of the power punches. I think he can break Woodley down with the calf kicks. Woodley throws the same thing every fight, the, the faint jab right hand. And it's like, bro, and I don't really, I mean, he, he cracked uh, – he hit Usman with it. He hit Covington with it. He hit Burns with it. They all ate that right hand, but they ate it no problem. I mean, they it wasn't it was nothing. I don't think he throws it with that same confidence. I think the guy, it, it's all about who's controlling it, and I think the guy controlling it currently in, in 2021 is just a complete shell of himself. Maybe five six years ago, you know that he was confident, hungry, and he, you know it wasn't even. I mean, the last time he dropped anything was Darren Till. Darren Till landed how many strikes in that fight? Zero. And, bro, honestly, when Tyron Woodley was champion, I honestly felt like his champ. I know y'all were saying he was the greatest welterweight and all this <laughs> and all this jazz and all this good stuff. But when he was champ, man, I, I just, man, because, you know, he knocked out Robbie Lawler and, you know, he was the beneficiary of, of Robbie Lawler and all those wars. And then the Damien, the Wonder Boy fights, I mean, you know, sometimes Wonder Boy gets scared. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but you know, I think that dude's champ run wasn't the best, and he's got a lot of. He's one of those guys that like have to play like something's against them in his head to to be motivated. Like I don't know, man. Um, I think Vicente is in a much better mental condition, uh, physical condition too. I know he takes a lot of damage, but I just think that's the you know, the Brazilian, the Brazilian, uh, banger style, man. He, I mean, that's how he gets that 90% finish rate. And I think he's going to add to that on a uh, Saturday night. I think he comes out here, breaks Willie down with the low kicks. Willie's going to be hesitating, backing up. Look, even if Willie does throw, I don't think it's anything special in 2021, man. Like in 2016, yeah, that right hand was like, oh my God, but now it's just, it's a right hand, man. It's like it's nothing special, man. I think uh, the guy controlling that these weapons now is just mentally gone. So I'm gonna go with Vicente Luque to knock Tyron Woodley out. I'm gonna say second round, first with a calf kick beating, and then with a left hook or overhand right, a knee, something. Um, if Woodley wants to wrestle, Vicente Luque's wrestling is very good. I mean, he attacks with that Dar's choke. He gets dudes to uh, get off him, and he's had similar. Matchups in the past with dudes with overhand rights like Mike Perry. Um, I know Mike Perry is not on Woodley's level, like all, like you know, caliber wise. But in 2021, bro, I don't think they're off that much to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I know that's crazy to say, but like Woodley, like I know it's the top guys, but like he hasn't shown anything to even say he could compete with these guys, man. Uh, and Vicente Luque's paid his dues. Like he's had that that taste of top competition. I think this is where he finally gets the gets his signature. So, yeah, I mean, listen, Vicente Luque landed more strikes in that Nico Price fight than Tyron Woodley's landed his last three fights combined. So, I think it's one of these situations where not only was Woodley getting caught up in the lifestyle to a point, but you talk about you know that that Robbie Lawler fight goes out there and knocks out Robbie Lawler. Then he had a great fight with Steven the first time, but after that Steven Wonderboy fight, he kind of went off the deep end. I mean, he goes in there against the rematch with Steven, and it's like the least strikes landed in a title fight. Then he goes out there against Damian Maya. I literally had to wake Shaq up. We had to check for pulse. Like Shaq was knocked out by how boring that fight was. And then the Darren Till fight, Darren Till landed zero strikes. Like the way to beat uh, Woodley is 
just throw more than him and don't get knocked out and you win until literally landed zero strikes. So, I mean, we all know Till doesn't belong at 170. Kamaru Usman took Tyron Woodley's soul. Gilbert Dorinho, you know, buried him. And Colby Covington added insult to injury, literally. So now what's left of him? Now it's going to be Vicente Luque coming out here, chopping him down with calf kicks. And eventually it's going to be a left hook knockout. Listen, Tyron Woodley can back himself into the fence just like he used to do throughout his career. His style hasn't changed. What's changed is that he's 40 years old now. So he still does the same things he used to. He's just not as fast as he used to be. He's not as explosive. And I know power is the last thing to go, but he's honestly not as powerful as he used to be. You look at that sprint he had across the cage against Jay Heron. You look at that sprint he had across the cage against Carlos Condit. It, it's just not he's not operating with that same horsepower that he once did. And I know Vicente is going to get hit with a couple shots. Hopefully Vicente doesn't get dropped. And as long as Vicente, you know, doesn't start getting dropped or start getting held down on the mat, Vicente is just going to up that strike count, going to start chopping down at Woodley. And if this becomes a battle of who wants it more, I mean, nine times out of 10 in 2021, uh, Vicente Luque wants it more than Tyron Woodley. Ty Tyron is in this for the his last couple paychecks. You know, he's got a lot of things he's got to pay for. So get these last couple six-figure paychecks while Dana will still let you fight. But I think after, I think after this one, Dana is, is going to have that talk with him. So I think this is the last time we see Tyron really inside the octagon. And it's going to be a knockout. Yeah, that alimony ain't cheap, man. It really ain't. Main event of the evening. We got the rematch between Stipe Miocic, the champ. He's 20-3. and three, And Francis Ngannou is 15 and three currently they got francis and ganu minus 120 and stipe miocic is plus 100 so since the last time they fought so basically francis has had the five round experience he's had a three-round fight with derrick lewis where everyone criticized him and wondered if he'd ever be that same guy ever again so he was a dog against the guy he already beat in curtis blades knocks him out in 45 seconds Knocks out another great wrestler in Kane Velasquez in 26 seconds. Knocks out JDS in a minute 11. And then knocks out Jerzinho in 20 seconds. So on one hand, you can sit here and say, well, he's never even been 90 seconds in any of these fights. How do you know he's changed? And look, certain fundamental things haven't changed. I, I still think Francis Ngannou is coming out here for that knockout in round one, no doubt about it. I'd say the only thing that's changed is that now he's got the experience of going five rounds. Now he knows that he's not invincible. Now he's not out here going to Paris a week before the fight. Not out here doing cocaine off strippers' asses. Like, I think that he's focused for this one, man. I don't think that he's getting off track here. So now it's really about can the best version of Francis, because that's what we're going to get Saturday night, can the best version, the focused version, can he come out here and knock out Steve Because let me tell you this. They fight 10 times, and some of these outcomes is going to be a Francis Ngannou first-round knockout. So the question is, is Saturday night going to be one of those times? Yeah, man, this is a, this is a fight I've been waiting for. Because, look, going into the first fight, I was honestly – I think I might have picked Francis, but from a betting perspective, I actually did think that the value was on Miocic just because look at the current time, man. Like – Francis had only had a, a hand, a little, a, like a few handful of fights against mostly bums. He only beat Arlovsky and Overeem before he fought. Uh, but it was just the, the finishes were so viral. And I think that everyone put in his head that, oh, yeah, you're, you're the champ. You're the, yeah, you're going to be the champ 100%. You know, just filled up his head. And he was young, man. He just moved to Las Vegas. Like, I think things were truly moving way too fast for him, and Dana kind of confirmed it, man. That was my speculation going into the fight. Dana confirmed it, and he was like, Francis was missing practices. He was missing his treatments. He was, like, going to Paris two weeks before the fight. Um, I remember even, like, on the countdown show, the dude was, like, eating cake and shit, man. Like, like for real. Like, if you go back to the countdown show for the first fight, the dude was eating cake and shit. Like, um, But, like, I think that... And when we watch the fight, man, Francis literally fought like he just thought Stipe would fall down. Like, this is Stipe Miocic we're talking about, the baddest man on the planet, the heavyweight champ. Like, he ain't just going to lay down. Like, that was my thoughts going in. He did not set up his shots at all. He was just out there throwing. Like, I truly believe mentally he was not there. That's just my opinion, though. Um, Stipe Miocic is the greatest heavyweight of all time. We know what he brings to the table. He can, he's got power, but we know he's known for that volume style punching. You know, I, I used to call him the heavyweight. Bisping, you know, because he, he would come out here and uh, out volume these guys and then just overwhelm them throughout the course of the five rounds. And that's what he that's what he did to Francis. Um, but one thing I want to say, man, 
a lot of dudes in that first fight, uh, like Francis, you know, who haven't been the five rounds, man. I thought Francis showed at least a tremendous amount of heart, man. I think that, you know, I really thought like a lot of heavyweights, man, they would have gotten knocked out and, and quit. And I mean, he was so tired, like by the second round, <laughs> like the fact that he went the whole five minutes, man, showed me that Francis Ngannou has a lot of heart. Now, of course, the big dilemma is, is he going to knock him out in the first round? Look, I, I like Stipe Miocic a lot, but he just got knocked out by a 5'11 heavyweight not that long ago inside the first round. Um, and, and and like I said, I think that uh, Daniel Cormier is a great fighter, a, a, a legend of the sport, one of the, in my opinion, one of the GOATs. But this uh, Francis Ngannou guy, a focused version of Francis Ngannou is a, is a completely different ballgame, man. And I truly think that... Uh, Unfortunately, Mr. Miocic is in big trouble on Saturday night, man. I think that Francis is focused. He's got the team around him. I, I, I just think it's more of a mental development than skill development. I don't think anything really skill has changed much. I think this is all mental. I think Stipe Miocic is expecting the same young guy that, you know, all I have to do is get out the first round. But I'm telling you, the guy that you fought the first time did not set up his shots. He did not take you seriously. This time he is taking you seriously. He's in shape, focused, man. I wouldn't even be shocked if if uh, Francis knocked him out in the second round just to just to prove a point and <laughs> let everyone know, man. I I just don't see Stipe getting avoiding these shots again, man. I think that, like you said, if these dudes fight ten times, it's going to be six four one way, six four the other way, you know, five five, you know, something like that. And I and I think that me uh, Francis Ngannou is going to finally get his hands inside that belt we'll have a trilogy uh you know after this unless 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 they put johnny unless they put johnny in there but uh i'm gonna go with uh francis and gannu to knock out Stipe miocic in less than two minutes um we'll see i know that's a very bold prediction but i just see a lot of openings i think that francis if he sets up his shots and and, and actually approaches this smartly that he will knock him out. And I think if you really watch that first fight, you can see that the dude was, I don't know if how many yes men he had around him at the time, but I, I just think that things are much tighter in its circle now. Um, and we'll see, you know, they're building that camp. You know, they got a, they've been bringing in some heavyweights. I hear Francis uh, is running through these, these training partners uh, left and right. Now I know Stipe is too, because you know, Stipe is training with those, uh, with the like Alexa Kamor and uh, what's the guy? What's the what's his teammate? The heavyweight? Oh man! Um, you know what I'm talking about. He fought uh, Jeff Hughes. Jeff Hughes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know he's beating up on dudes like that. But nah, man, it's gonna be a great fight. Uh, but I'm gonna go with Ngannou to knock him out in the first round. Listen, this is not 2018 anymore, and everyone was kissing. Uh, Francis is asked to a point where they were acting like he already won the fight before the fight even happened, like he was already champ before it happened. But if you've been watching this sport for a while, you've seen five round fights and you've seen rematches, you know that fights usually go differently than they did the first time. I mean, I remember when Machido won the five round decision against uh Shogun, and then the rematch, Shogun knocked him out in the first round. Like, I can name so many examples where the first fight goes differently than the rematch. And since the point where they fought, Stipe has eaten over 300 head strikes in his subsequent fights, including a knockout loss. Francis is eating like 30 strikes. So I think that Francis is a lot fresher. It's just about, you know, the big question of what happens if Francis goes past the first round. But Francis has had the experience of going past the first round now. He's with the right people. There's no more yes, man. There's no more going to Paris a week before the fight. I think that now the stars are aligning for Francis to come out here and eventually not only defeat Stipe Miocic, but seal his fate of becoming a heavyweight champion this guy is destined to be a heavyweight champion i think saturday he's going to realize that dream i think he does come out here and knock out stipe miocic i think stipe is a warrior look i picked stipe that last fight against dc everyone was on dc everyone was saying that this is a bad fight for stipe i'm like i just saw stipe knock this guy out now i got stipe again but that ends here i'm going francis via first round knockout I think the trilogy is going to be great, but I think it's time for Francis to realize his dream. I think he's done the right things since uh, their first fight. I think he's he's fought the right opponents since their first fight, and I think that Saturday night he's ready to, to become the UFC heavyweight champion, and I think he's going to do so viciously and violently. Like He's got kind of like that Deontay Wilder thing going on where the technique might not look the prettiest, but he's so goddamn powerful that it doesn't matter, and that's the bottom line. 
I've seen Stipe Miocic get knocked out back in the day against Stefan Struve, and I saw him get knocked out not too long ago against Daniel Cormier. I know Francis can knock him out, and I think Saturday he will. I'm going Francis Ngannou to become the new heavyweight champion of the world. He's going to do what he should have did in 2018, but now it's 2021, and he's paid his dues. He's ready to get it done. So that's my pick, Francis Ngannou and new. Now, before we talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, do me a favor and give this video a like and a subscribe. Now, Shaq, what is your fight to watch for UFC 260? Yeah, you're muted. Yeah, my fight to watch is going to be uh, Vicente Luque versus Tyron Woodley, man, just because... This could be the last time we see Tyron Woodley in the UFC and Vicente Luque. He's kind of he's failed when he's got had these big fights and he's getting <clears throat> he's getting his third opportunity here against the former champ. And I think this is the next logical step in his career. He is a top ten guy, um, and you got to beat these former champions. Uh, and Woodley, like I said, this might be the last time we've seen him. Look, I, I know me and you know me and Woodley, if we, you know we haven't had the we've had our things, but. Dude is a former champion. He does deserve some some respect. Uh, it would have been a great career if it ends on a Saturday night. Um, but maybe he can go to Bellator or PFL after this and keep going if he wants. Um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Douglas versus Woodley or um, Amazon versus Woodley and, and some of these other guys. But, uh, yeah, that's my fight to watch. I think it's a big fight for both guys. Listen, my my fighter to watch is Francis Ngannou. I mean, the first time he pulled a stunt of epic proportions, went out there, acted like the fight was won before it even happened. This time, he's much more humble. He knows what's in front of him. And I'm curious to see if uh, he writes his wrong this time. You know, don't make the same mistake twice. So all eyes are on Cameroon's Francis Ngannou, and he's my fighter to watch uh, Saturday night, Shaq. So who is uh, what is your fight to watch for Saturday? Oh, I just did my fight to watch. Oh, my um, bad. Who who is who is your fighter to watch? <laughs> my fighter to watch is uh, my fighter to watch is gonna be um, man, you kind of took my fighter to watch, but my uh, I guess I'll go with uh, I'll go with my boy Jared Gooden, man. You know, my boy, uh, he's got a big fight on his hands against the Russian from Dagestan. It's a big fight, man, but because Akabukar didn't look too hot in his debut, and Jared put on a good performance, so I think that Jared uh, wins this fight and he can solidify his place at 170 and and you know get some more exciting fights. Because I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily like these type of matchups for him. I think you need to put him in there with uh, ex exciting guys. You know, Akabukar he's going to be looking to dive on the legs and, uh, and things of that nature, as McGregor likes to say. Uh, uh, what do you say? Uh, put the head, uh, the crotch sniffer or something like that, uh, or uh, you know, sniff the jock strap style, you know. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, Jared, Jared as my fighter to watch. My fighter to watch is Abu Azaitar, man. I mean, look, he's coming off a of layoff, so that's why there's a lot of questions, uh, regarding him, but. The guy comes to fight, man. I mean, I remember back in the day when he knocked out Jack Marshman in under a minute uh, in Cage Warriors, and he's been doing his thing for a long time. I was impressed with that UFC debut, and I was kind of bummed he didn't, you know, come through in his fights against Alessio DiCarico and Joaquin Buckley kind of pulled out of those fights. I thought they were winnable fights. I think this is a winnable fight, so I want to see him go out there. I want to see if he's going to be rusty or if he's going to be sharp. Um, but bottom line, Abu Azaitar, very exciting guy. He is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, uh, we did it. It's going down this Saturday night in Las Vegas, Nevada, UFC 260, the rematch, Francis Ngannou versus Stipe Miocic. Thank you very much to all our fans watching. Do us a favor. Give this video a like and a subscribe. Follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com. Hit up our sponsor, Manscaped at manscaped.com. Use the promo code BATTLE20 for 20% off and free shipping. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available, we'll be back. Uh, actually, I think we got a week off next week, but we should still do a pod anyways, and then we'll be back for the next card the week after that. So really look forward to keep talking with you all. Um, thanks so much for the support. Give this video a like. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.